The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry, built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. And with available features like heated seats and a multimedia touchscreen, you can stay connected in comfort and style. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle, from the hip and agile sedan to the sporty hatchback. There's a dependable Corolla built just for you. Plus, both Camrys and Corollas are available in hybrid models. So no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and affordably. And right now, your local Toyota dealer has more vehicles in stock and is making delivery on new vehicles almost every day. So visit your local Toyota dealer. And check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Offers end April 1st. Toyota, let's go places. Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale with Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases and shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval, no minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. Hey, it's Max. So as I mentioned last week, we've actually hit 70 people over 70 on the show. And this is going to be the last episode, at least for a while. I hope you've gotten something out of these conversations. Maybe it was just one line, one small thing that someone said that made sense and will stick with you. Or maybe these talks have changed the way you think about getting older yourself. But to help me figure out what I've learned, what I'll take away from this experience, it seemed right to go back to the person who inspired it. My dad, Marty. The last time you heard from him was in the show's prologue. He was in the hospital then, and we were talking about his life and the end of it in a way that we never had before. I think it's just, I also might just be real scared of you dying. Well, what's the, what's the fear? That it's unknown. The only thing that I have known is having you there, knowing I can talk anything out. I think for me, not knowing how much time there is left to do that is is really scary. And then what's on the other side feels kind of impossible. I have so much confidence in your capacity for managing that after I'm gone, that I don't, I don't worry about it. I don't worry about it at all. You'll, you'll find ways to continue to keep our conversation going long after I've stopped breathing. Maybe that's what you're doing with the show, is trying to figure out what, what it means to... Um, no, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't. What do you think? Well, I was saying what it means to let go. He got out of the hospital shortly after that. And since then, over the months I've been making this show, he and I kind of keep circling back to some version of that conversation. What does it feel like to be at this place in his life? Sometimes he laughs it off. 
walking. I was walking to the men's room, and this guy came up to me, an older, older guy, older guy. <laughs> and he, he said to me, he said, if you need a wheelchair after the game, we can provide them. And I almost wanted to tell him to go fuck himself. I was so pissed. I couldn't believe it, how angry I was. I want to punch him in the stomach. <laughs> <laughs> what did you actually say? I said, no, I'm doing fine. Thank you very much. Yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Other times, he seems to be struggling with it a little bit more. I began to think about how there's no training manual. There was no mentoring. No one ever prepared me for getting old. And the whole time, he's been listening to the show. He texts me after every episode, not just to tell me what he thinks of the interviews, but to ask what I've learned from them. So after we finished the last episode, I drove up to his house to talk it through with him. Hi, Dad. Hey, Max. I wish we had a bottle of champagne here to <laughs> celebrate uh, this moment. You know, uh, whatever the future holds for you, for me, for 70 over 70, uh, uh, this is a great moment. Uh, how are you feeling? Um, oh, I have, many, I have many feelings all at once, and they're like collapsing in on each other. So lay them out. Let's see. This has been long, and... Uh, has taken a, a kind of energy that I didn't totally anticipate it would take. But there's a part of me that is really uh, grieving the end of it and the process of working on it. Mm -hmm. um, what do you mean by that? Well, you know, there's this wonderful group of people that I've been able to work with on the show in a way that's really different than I've been able to work with them before. You know, figuring out how to make this thing together. Well, I, you know, I, I can't help but think that there's something, what makes it different is also the content. You know, there's an intimacy about the content that is different than, uh, you know, a podcast about sports or podcast about news or, you know, there's something different about it. Um, well, but how, how did it, what did it feel like for you to be, Week after week, immersed in these conversations with people you didn't know, some of whom were, you know, well known to you in advance, and some of whom were more obscure. How, to, how did it feel? Um, like you're looking in their closet or something. <laughs> yeah. Uh, mostly it felt thrilling. You know, the, the mics feel like a prop almost. Yeah. You know, like it, um, it feels a little bit like a, like a scam, to get to talk to these people in this way. Even with um, the people who didn't want to play very much. Yeah. But the people who showed up ready, you know, there's no universe in which Judith Light would have had coffee with me and let me ask her about this transformative moment in her own life where she decided to be a different person in the world, you know? I just wouldn't get to do that without the show. And that's a wonderful way to spend a Tuesday afternoon, you know? So in that way, it has felt wonderful and, and I feel like lucky 
Do, do you think it's going to have any spillover in your non-70 over 70 life? Well, you know, you mentioned like not everyone was totally willing to play in that way. And I think those conversations taught me as much as the ones where, where people did. What do you mean? What do they teach you? Well, there's this thing that the last, the last person I talked to, Diane Meyer, said to me about having hard conversations with people facing terminal illness, which was basically that you can't have a conversation with someone that they don't want to have. And what she meant by that was if you try and force it in the first moment, not only are they not going to have that conversation with you, but they're never going to trust you again. And there's a part of that is that is tactical and specific to her work that she wouldn't be able to do her job going forward. But there's also part of it that really hit me hard because it connected with the show, which is that, you know, I, I think the ones where we weren't able to get to that place that felt like I was rooting around in their closet or that we were doing that together, you know? Um, I don't think it was just that they didn't show up ready to do that. Part of it was about where I was that day or in the show or am in my life. Like there was a, sometimes a narrow band that I was going to be able to have a conversation within, particularly when people, you know, we were scheduled for an hour. You know, like part of, part of what Diane Meyer's work is about and part of what that answer was about yeah. is you can't force the conversation because you got to show up the next day and keep moving the whole project forward. So you got to play it smart. Can't try and have the whole thing on the first day if they're not ready to have it. Yeah. And one of the, this is sort of the other side of the coin of the thing I was talking about earlier about the podcast feeling like a scam, Right. There's a limitation in saying we're going to try and have that kind of conversation, but all we have is an hour and we're going to do it over Zoom. Do it over Zoom. Yeah. You know, like it's not the same as walking into someone's home, asking them about things that are on the wall. Yeah. You know, and having people understand how much I wanted to be there with them, you know? How much I wanted to hear what they had to say. And I found that hard to convey sometimes. And that doesn't mean that it was impossible to do so, but man, when I did, it was great. My question is, what did you learn then about your own preparation? Um, you know, and I, I'm thinking about it not just preparing for the next 70 over 70 conversation, but I'm thinking preparing for hard conversations generally. You know, well, what did you learn about that? Well, I think it's connected to a pretty fundamental thing that I learned overall from the show, which is that you, you can't do any of this all at once. There's this line that Andre de Shields said at the Tonys that he and I talked about a lot in like the second episode of the thing, which is um, slowly is the fastest way to get where yeah. you want to be. And, and I think that that 
that's part of this too, which is that getting to that place, that incredibly personal, honest, open place, whether it's in interviews for the show or with people in my life, people that I care about, it's not binary. It's something I'm going to be working on as long as I'm around. Yeah, well, I think I, I, uh, we have, Mom and I have this uh, longstanding joke about two times, once in a restaurant, once in a subway, I tried to have a conversation with her about our sex life. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, you know, we kid about it a lot, but uh, it, it, it's, it, it connects with what you're saying. That, that there's a, I don't want to, be a cliche, but it... Oh, I thought t- you were going to say you don't want to talk more about your mom's <laughs> sex life, which is good by me. Like, as soon as you want to, as soon as you want to pivot away from that, that's great. Um, but it's, it takes two to tango. And, yeah. and, and you have, in theory, you have some control over your own state of readiness. An intimate conversation um, is, is not something you can just put on the schedule when you have a free hour. Yes. You know, and, you know, when you think about Athletes, when you think about actors, the the relationship between the time and practice and the time doing, mm-hmm. you know, is crazy. Yes, you know, um, and it feels to me that's part of what we're talking about here is that is that this takes work. It takes work to have a hard conversation, and it's you can't just pull it out of your back pocket. It's a question of context, mm-hmm. timing. It's a question of your preparation and readiness and that's not just intellectual a list of questions it's an emotional thing and it's also the other person and it's being able to read the other person so that you can be where they are yes one of the things that happens in a couple of these conversations and also happens in conversations in my life all the time is that i've got such a clear idea of where i want to go yes that if people don't want to go there i don't have i don't have any other plans and 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 that moment of not knowing where else to go when where i thought we'd go isn't going to work that's about a kind of preparation that feels new to me in my life in many many ways and the thing you have to do in that moment is let go of whatever assumption you had and just fucking listen. Yes. Just listen, listen, listen. And I wasn't always able to do that because I'd been doing 15 things right before or uh, whatever it was. Like and I, you also, the idea in your head you think is a good idea. Great idea. You know, it's my idea. It's perfect. <laughs> well, but it... Uh, I know from four decades of teaching that the secret is to empty your head. The less I have in my head, the more successful I am. How can you possibly listen to somebody, the kind of listening, deep listening that you're talking about, if you've got lots of stuff going on in your head that you're listening to? Right. Right? The idea that you're most effective when you are empty-headed, 
which is different than winging it. It's not about oh, winging uh, it. Completely. It's a, it's a challenging idea, which, which leads me to another insight that I've learned from listening to the episodes, which is the, that not knowing is a resource. Yeah. I think I feel more connected to that idea of not knowing being a gift than I did before. But for me, that does connect to, to this idea that, that's also in the prologue, that first thing that we, we did together about like figuring it all out, you know? Uh, I think there'll always be some part of me that would really like to be able to flip a switch and have it all figured out, you know? I don't think that will ever really go away completely, but the urge to look for that feels lower right now to me than it has ever felt. I, I was just, I had lunch today with a guy who is a wonderful old dear friend of mine who is a self-professed conservative, political conservative, very smart, wonderful, wonderful guy. And I was walking back across the park from having lunch with him, and I was thinking to myself, am I a conservative or a liberal or a moderate? Or what? And I, then I realized, I'm, I'm fucking 81 years old. I don't know yet. <laughs> and then I got really excited about that. Well, th right, and that does feel to me like a thing that feels different and is a product of these conversations. For most of my life, the not knowing has been fucking terrifying. And I, I really just wanted to know. Well, that passion, that desire is reinforced everywhere. You know? All the time. You know, you get good grades for knowing. Right. <laughs> you know, you get promoted for knowing. And you get promoted for knowing, even pretending you know, even when you don't know. Right. And and I've had a lot of pretty embarrassing moments on the show related to not knowing or not hearing. You know, I mean, Nikki Giovanni and Helen Prejean and a fair number of people have basically just said, like, Oh, you, you're, you're not, you're not hearing it. And there's a vulnerability. There's something about that that is both uncomfortable putting that out in the world, you know, yeah. there's just some baseline fear, right? But it's, is also freeing because you, you like you know what happens after you like put out a podcast episode that a bunch of people listen to where Nikki Giovanni tells you you haven't figured anything out yet? <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> totally fine. Yeah. It's totally, totally fine. Yeah. And again, this will change. It will come. It will go. It'll be lifelong work. There will be better days with it and worse days with it. But a thing that feels different having had these conversations is I'm, I'm a lot less worried about how little I know. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. 
That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast ryan reynolds here from Mint mobile with the price of just about everything going up during inflation we thought we'd bring our prices down so to help us we brought in a reverse auctioneer which is apparently a thing Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign
Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash odyssey podcast. So think about the people who have been listening, you know, um, what are your aspirations, hopes for them? What would make you feel good about what they took away? I think there's a couple of things. And and one of them is trying to ha- have these conversations. How to have them better. How to be more ready yourself. I do think that talking it out is important. And I mean, what's the, what's the cliche thing that people say when someone dies unexpectedly? They say, tell the people that you love that you love them, you know? And I think there's lots of ways to do that. But I think these kinds of conversations are a version of that, you know? And so one thing I hope is that people have more of them, that there's some moment in any of this that connected to someone in their lives and it prompted them to give that person a call or send them a text or find a way to go for a walk or whatever, you know, and tell them whatever version of uh, I love you is. Sounds so corny now that I'm saying it out loud, but I hope that we can live in that place more than we do. And I so like, I so desperately want that for myself to live in that place more, you know, like I, I, I feel clear about that and accepting of the work it will take to continue to do that. You know, we've also talked about how this is, this is a connection I, I have made until now how you're being ready, really ready, and somebody you care about not being ready, that's okay. Yeah. Part of the readiness is having the people in your life know I'm there if you want to. So that's really interesting. I mean, there's so many things that you said trigger things in my mind. Has it affected the way you think about dying? A lot. I think the most surprising thing on the show, the thing that that was furthest from what my assumption would have been, was the way in which almost everyone answered that question, are you scared of dying? Like, I asked almost everybody that. And... Almost everyone met that question, not just with a no, but with some, with some joy. You know, I mean, uh, Norman Lear had that incredible line about like, why would I be scared of dying? Like, no one's ever given me a bad report about it, you know? <laughs> like, there was, there was so much of that. And that did feel to me like there is a different place to get to around thinking about your own mortality and the end of your life 
did it make you feel or think any differently about my dying? <sighs> you said this thing when we talked, that was in that prologue when we talked in the hospital about feeling like the conversation that you and I have been having will continue in some way. And I feel more connected to that idea than I did, you know? I think that's in part about this letting go of the idea that these things are binary, you know, that it's all or nothing. I think there's lots of forms of what that conversation looks like. I don't know what any of them are, really. Um, but I'm pretty open to the idea that they exist. But also, the idea of you dying feels more real and is sadder to me. Yeah. You know? Well, this... Like I, I, one of the things it's I was less thinking, scary and much sadder. Yeah. <laughs> I listened to Diane Meyer last night, and I was thinking that her idea of the the idea that if you can get people to embrace finiteness, which to me, as I've been thinking about it, is not just an idea about death. But it is about an idea about change uh, and 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 transitions, um, and and the idea that everything has a beginning and a middle and an end, you know, and that that is part of nature. Mm. Uh, you know, if you accept, uh, I mean, I'm just working on this myself, but if you really internalize that idea of finiteness, um, uh, it, it allows you to be more present uh, and savor the moment knowing that it's going to end than if you think that you can keep the good times rolling forever. Yes. Yes. And, and I think that's the distinction between being scared of you dying and being sad about yes. yeah. you dying. I sure want you to be sad. <laughs> Well, of course I was going to be sad, but but the thing we were talking about in the hospital was that I was scared of it. Yeah. And if you spend your time being scared of a thing right. that's out of your control and that you have no idea what's on the other side of, you can't be as present. You can't savor yeah that finite time yeah. in a meaningful way. Yeah. Well, and, and it's so ridiculous to be afraid of dying because no one, as Norman Lear said, no one, <laughs> no one could tell us what it's like. Yeah, it I mean, may be fabulous, it may be horrible, and it may be nothing at all, but no one can tell us, you know? And so anybody who has an idea about what it is that idea, having that idea is getting in the way of today right. and of this conversation right. and of loving the people you love. Right. And, and it doesn't just have to be dying. 
realization that any idea you have about it is just an idea yeah. getting in the way. That's also true of parenting. Yeah. It's true of friendships. Yeah. It's true of work and collaborative work. Like, like that concept extends. And, you know, I think it even extends to these interviews. Like if I go into it with an idea of what the platonic ideal of the conversation will have is, and then that's not available, it's just getting in the way yeah. of whatever conversation is available. It, what is available, that's right. right. And, and I don't have an answer about this, but I can tell you like a thing that I've been thinking about a lot is choices. And I think that came up a lot in the show, you know? Say, say more about that. That your capacity to be ready is not infinite. And that you have to be deliberate about where you are going to spend your readiness. Yeah. And you know, it connects in a little bit of a way to like... Um, did you listen to that one with Russell Banks, the writer? Sure, I loved that. And he was talking about this kind of place that he had gotten with his writing where he was living the most solitary life he'd ever led. It's this writing shack he walks out yeah. to in the morning. And that by stripping away all of the other demands on his life, the other commitments that he had, the other responsibilities that he had taken on, that something had happened with his writing where now he described it as, it's, it's as natural as growing my hair, hmm. you know? And I don't think I'm ever going to get like to a place where the thing that I want to be doing is like living in the woods and going to a shack and spending time by myself every day. That feels like not particularly appealing to me. But part of what I hear in that story is about making choices, saying no, letting go of other possibilities and other things you might want to do in order to make the space for the thing that you most want to do. And I think that came up again and again in these conversations in so many different ways. And I also think it's where people have regrets, you know, Say more about that. I think most of the regrets that people had were when they chose to prioritize something for themselves that was short-term or ephemeral over a person or a relationship in their lives. And then people who you would expect to have regrets, so I'm thinking about like, Joycelyn Elders, who was Surgeon General of the United States and was forced to resign after 18 months, I think, because the way that she wanted to do that job was not politically tenable. And, you know, talk about going into it with ideas. Like, I was sure going into that conversation that there was some part of her that was like, I kind of wish I played it a different way, stay in that job longer, have a different next 20 years of my professional life, you know? Not one iota of that from her. None. Because that choice was deliberate. And she was completely comfortable with the consequences of that choice. And 
I don't, that feels, that feels new to me, uh, thinking about choice in that way. I think that I have thought about it as you can just like keep stacking on pancakes, you know, and like eat them all. And, uh, and you can't. And I, I think I'm on like, uh, the very first step of that idea. But I do think that these conversations help, help get me there because that those are the things that people have regret about. And I guess one of the underlying assumptions of the, of 70 over 70 is that if you don't have these conversations with people that you love and who love you, there is a price to pay. Yeah. Um, there's a loss. Uh, and even though it's hard and it's scary and it feels risky that uh, not having uh, not having those conversations will um, you you you'll be giving up something as a result that's turns out to be very important. Yeah. Yeah. And in a way, I mean, I think that connects to where we started this thing, which is about letting go. Yeah. And part of that is about letting go of regret in the way you're describing. But it's also about letting go of the ideas of what your life will be or what life is or dying. And, and what, what um, somebody once framed this as anticipatory dread. Yeah. We use the word in our family of pre-fretting. <laughs> right. You know, as a way of... Um, holding on and you now this distinction that you made about my dying about not being any less sad but being a lot less afraid that seems like a hugely important idea and I think that's the other thing that I would want people to take away from the show because I, I I think like none of this shit is ever done but I do feel less afraid, less worried than I did before I had these conversations. And, and I think that came from the people that I talked to, you know? Almost all of whom are less worried and afraid than they were at some other point in their life and are able to see that, you know, and appreciate it and find joy in it. Um, uh, I, I don't, I don't want you to fail to celebrate uh, what you've, the opportunity that you've created for yourself and for uh, 
me and for lots and lots of other people over the course of the last year. Well, thanks for all your help on this. Thanks for doing it. So it turns out that this whole project was about something I knew when we started, but couldn't quite articulate then. The way to make the most out of the time we have left is to stay present. On some level, all of us know that. And yet, we still need to be reminded of it basically every moment of every day. Stay present. As much as you can, just stay present. Norman Lear talked about it as a hammock. Sister Helen Prejean described it as a river. Myra Coleman, in the way that only she can, called it a sandwich. They're all metaphors for the same thing. And I'm not sure I've got my metaphor yet, but I do know what they're talking about. It's doing what you can to let go of whatever idea you might have of what you want to hear or how you want things to go, and just try to listen. And that takes patience with other people and with yourself, because you can't do it all the time. But you can always try to do it more. And you can start right now. Thanks to Marty Linsky and to everyone else who shared their time and their wisdom with us. Seventy Over Seventy is a production of Pineapple Street Studios, and it's produced by Jess Hackle. Here's Jess's grandmom, Sandy Levin, who's 83 years old. My biggest piece of advice for someone who just turned 70 is when choosing what you want to do, make sure that you have a goal, but you have to stretch it a little more, something that you're not sure that you can maybe attain, but you sure might want to try. Our associate producer is Janelle Anderson. Here's Janelle's grandma, Bertha Riley, who's 75. Number one, we have to thank God for reaching that age and continue to live. Our editors are Maddie Sprungkaiser and Joel Lovell. Here's Austin Serrett, Maddie's college professor, mentor, and friend. He's 74. Get ready for and get used to the appearance of the word still in questions associated with them and their lives. Are you still teaching? Are you still feeding yourself? Are you still toileting alone? Research and additional reporting by Charlie Locke. And here's Charlie's Uncle Tom, who's 70. Look at this birthday as not just a milestone, but also kind of a deadline. Take a look at uh, what the balance is in your life of work and other kinds of things, and then take action. Our mixer is Elliot Adler, and this is his family friend, Carol. She's 70. Enjoy life while you can and be kind to others. Because life goes by really, really, really fast. And so if you think you're going to do it when you're older and you're going to wait on it, it doesn't work that way. Jenna Weiss-Berman and I are the executive producers. Here's Jenna's dad, Stephen Berman, who's 72. When people turn 70, they all should be forced to read this prayer composed by a 17th century nun. 
Lord, keep me from the fatal habit of thinking I must say something on every subject and on every occasion. Release me from craving to straighten out everybody's affairs. Give me the ability to see good things in unexpected places and talent in unexpected people. And give me, O Lord, the grace to tell them so. Amen. Our theme song is Like a Dream by Francis and the Lights. Original music by Terrence Bernardo, additional music by Noble Kids, and music licensing by Dan Kanishkawi. Our cover art is by Myra Kalman, who's 72. And our episode art is by Lynn Staley. She's 74, and she's also my mom. And here she is. I never expected to turn 70, and there's not really anything you can do to prepare. Best to think of it as a triumph. I'm Max Linsky. Thanks for listening.